You're listening to the Straight to Video Podcast with Rob Lane. What is up and welcome along to episode 198 of the Straight to Video Podcast. That milestone of 200 episodes is just around the corner and that chat is already in the bag. But you're going to have to wait another week or two before we get to that. But right now, so much is happening in the world of Straight to Video. As this past weekend, we opened up the Straight to Video 80s video shop in Alfreton, Derbyshire. That's right, a video rental shop in 2022. Well, kind of. We're not renting tapes. Think of it more as a VHS museum to transport you back in time. And from the response we had during the weekend, I think we can safely say that we achieved that. Loads of great feedback, tons of merch sales, which are massively appreciated, but most of all, just lots of fun and good vibes, which at the end of the day are priceless. If you too want to visit the shop, we're on King Street, Alfreton, just 10 minutes from Junction 28 of the M1, and we're currently open Friday, Saturday, and Sundays from 11am till 3pm, so please pop along. Check out at 80s Video Shop on all social media platforms for all the up-to-date information. All right then, today it brings me great pleasure to chat with singer-songwriter Robert Tepper, who a lot of you will know from the outright classic 80s movie soundtrack songs Angel of the City from Cobra and the ultimate movie montage gym workout track No Easy Way Out from Rocky IV. Absolute timeless songs and it was an honour to get to chat to Robert about his career, from early days in New York working and writing hits with Benny Mardones to moving to Los Angeles and forging his own solo career. Right now, Robert is set to release a new single and album, both titled Feels Like Monday, on the 30th of July. And to coincide with the release, he is doing a special online concert for fans and a video premiere, which you can find out all about over at robertepper.net or on Robert's Facebook page. Before we chat, please continue to show some love and appreciation for Richie and Mark of Dead School Coffee for supporting this podcast. If you place an order through deadschoolcoffee.co.uk and add the promo code STV on checkout, you will receive 15% off your order as a thank you for being a listener to this show. How great is that? Okay, let's dive in. Robert was on a press blitz leading up to his new single and video release this weekend, so we only got a short time to chat, but you'd be surprised at how much great stuff we covered. And Robert was on great form, so I think you're going to enjoy this as we jump into my straight-to-video talk with Robert Tepper. <laughs> man pretty good good to see you good to see you what's going on man do you listen to my music what are you 12 years old get out of it i'm 47 i grew up with your stuff oh thank you man <laughs> nah, you're looking young looking young tatted up it's good man we was actually scheduled to support you at nottingham rock city a few years ago but those shows never happened so it's like dang oh i remember that god those shows were more famous because they didn't happen <laughs> are you going to come back and see us with this new album i'm ready 
I am ready, man. I got Chris Cameron and my band playing, and we are ready to go. So how long have you been working with Chris? Chris and I, we've been hanging out together since 2017. Right. He had this unbelievable club in the middle of the woods in Arkansas, and I put out the album with my kid on the cover, New Life Story which is my kid Leo's on the front. So he had this club and I, he calls my manager and he said, hey, you want to play at this club? And I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, this is great. And a couple of weeks later, I'm out there and I'm signing his wall and he's got this beautiful little club out there. And he says, hey, always love No Easy Way Out. You want to play? I said, why don't you do it with me, you know, at the gig tonight? And we've been playing together ever since. I think that's one of the things I always say to people, playing music. The people you meet, that's the special thing, the friendships you forge. Absolutely, man. And for Chris and I, I mean, we're writing together and like he's just a really special person in my life. He's handling my management. He's doing a lot of good things for me. Really cool guy. Well, I appreciate you taking some time. I know you're starting this big press run. I'll try and keep things as snappy and as upbeat because I know you're going to have a lot of these on the way. As my New York friends say, we live like we're double parked. <laughs> that's a great one. So you're getting set to release your brand new album and single. Yes. It feels like Monday later this month. Follow up to the great rock album, Better Than The Rest. Are you continuing the 80s vibe, which that record really captured, or is it moving in a different direction with the new material? It's so funny when you say moving in a different direction. It's directions like I'm a music person. You know, New Life Story was showed that I'm a singer-songwriter. I am always writing. I don't know, maybe it's my medication, but I write more than I ever have. So it feels like Monday was just a great collection of like songs I have. And it's like they're not real until they're released to the world. They're sitting on my computer. You know, people, well, Tepper, you know what I mean? What's he doing? Well, this is what I'm doing. You know, do I want to do another rock record, kind of 80s style? I did, but you got to remember that. I don't jump in until I feel like there's an honesty. I don't mean to sound pretentious, but better than the rest was like, if you think about it, think about it. When was the last time I did like an AOR record? It was a long time. I felt that record, man. And I feel the same way about Feels Like Monday. These were like some quality songs I had around. I played on it. I engineered it as usual. I'm, you know, I'm a little obsessive. It's got your name on the package, sir. It does, it does, it does, it does, you know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but does it feature a song co-written with the late Benny Mardones? Yes, it does. What was it that brought that song to the table? Is it quite an old song? Well, here's the thing. So everybody knows Benny passed away recently. And Benny and I were, you know, we were brothers, man. He lived in L.A. and he had Parkinson's. So his, his fucking body was blown, man. He, he was a mess. But, you know, when we got together, we, we laughed our asses off. And Looking for the Love was one of the last things we wrote together. Vocally, it was tough for him, but he managed to get through that record. You know, Benny was so brave, man. I mean, what he went through, I don't think I could have done. I don't know many people who can. But, you know, Looking for the Love was like something we were sitting, not in this studio, but the one next door. I have a garage studio over there. And we were sitting in there and we kind of wrote it together, man. And it was one of the last things we wrote together. And I think it's a very special song for me. So the album's filled with those kind of golden moments for me, if you will. You know, because Benny was like, the reason I'm doing this is because of Benny. You know what I mean? Benny was like a big brother to me and, and mentored me and almost killed me. And, you know, we had, a lot, we had a lot of fun. You guys met in New York, I guess, in like the late 70s, 1980 time? Yes, we did. Neil Bogart. Remember Neil Bogart? There was a label, I think Madonna was on. It was called Casablanca Records. And he was like one of the early indie guys, right? And Benny had done Thank God for Girls. And I was taking a voice lesson in New York City from a guy whose name I cannot remember. I just remember it was down the block from this great French restaurant. And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. He goes, 
wait a second, man. Neil's coming in with Benny, with Benny Mardonis. You know who Benny Mardonis is? I said, I don't know who Benny Mardonis is. He came in, they had fur coats on. They looked like rock gods. The guy said, you want to write with him? I said, sure, why not? Next thing I know, we write Into the Night, Might Have Been Love, and Too Young. And those three songs wind up on his second record, and I play bass. Just off the bat like that, there was a connection straight away. Off the bat. Look, man, you could call me many things. You could call me a son of a bitch, someone who's got too many kids. You could call me a whole bunch of stuff. But the one thing I am is a songwriter. What are your memories of New York at that time? I mean, it's, it must have changed so much since then. So dig this, man. I have a son who is a writer. His name's Julian Tepper, and he's written a book called Balls, Arc Between the Records, which is a story about a drug-addicted dad. I don't know where he got that from. He's been in the book review of New York Times. He's a really serious novelist, and he is a New York writer. I brought those kids up in New York, man. And I just went back a couple of weeks ago for the first time since COVID because I hadn't seen his new wife or my new grandchild. And New York is on fucking fire, man. It's like my kid writes about New York. So he's taking me. Come on, Dad, we're going in here, man. 15 Chinese dumplings. Here, we're going down to World Trade Center. I mean, we must have walked about 25 miles. I love the city so much, man. I love the city so much. It is like my memories of that are like, so Right Track had just opened up, right? That was like a brand new studio. And 47th Street, which is time gone by, that's where the music district was. It's not there anymore probably turned it into a parking lot. But New York is amazing as ever, man. New York is just as amazing as ever. If there's a city that could be its own country, New York City is. What would a usual day be like? Because you was working like a staff writer back then. What would a usual day be for Robert Tepper? You mean when we were making that record? Back then, I was pretty drug addicted and drug addled. I mean, we did a lot of blow. We were snorting everything we could get our hands on, hanging out at night, getting crazy, writing all night, staying up for days. You know what I mean? It was like we were kind of a cliche rock and roll lifestyle, you know? But as crazy as it got, the songwriting was still there all the time. Yeah. I mean, look, is it easier for me to write now? Of course it is. Was I as confident about it back then? Probably not. But I was in there doing it with him, you know, watching the records being made. You know, Barry Moraes produced that first record. And I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot. I mean, Pat Travis was in the other studio in Florida, in North Miami, you know, when Miami, we were in Coconut Grove. I mean... It was nuts, man. It was pretty crazy. You know, a typical day was not typical. Did you want to be more behind the scenes as a songwriter or was you thinking I need to break out on my own as a singer? You know, great question. I don't know if it's a great question. It's a true question. I'm kind of weird. You know what I mean? I'm a weirdo, man. It's like I could sit here and mix for 10 hours. I could sit here and record stuff and ideas and get into being that guy. And then you can put me on stage and all of a sudden I really... I do well. You're the full package. <laughs> That's what you're saying. I don't know if I'm the full package. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm the full package. It's like, for me, I, oh my God, why am I having so much trouble like verbalizing this? There's an intrinsic value in all these different hats that I wear. And it's not easy for me because I wish I was better than every single one of them. I wish I was a better singer. I wish I was better. I wish I was a better performer. But when I touch it, there are times that I do, I have my days, you know what I mean? And if you're around, you know, it's going to be okay. I'll make it okay. So when you were songwriting and stuff, would you still go and sit in and perform at any clubs too whilst you were still writing? I'm not a big sitting kind of guy, okay? I'm just not because I do have confidence problems, you know what I mean? I do consider myself more of a producer sometimes and I'm not out in the clubs and, you know, having people sing with each other. And it's like, I was born with a bad attitude, you know what I mean? It's like, 
fuck L.A., man. L.A., nobody's going to come and see you in L.A., you know what I mean? Unless you're uh, Justin Bieber. They're not coming. Everybody's got an attitude and everybody. So fuck those people. I'd rather sing in Germany or I'd rather sing in Arkansas. I'd rather sing any place else that's not as jaded as where I come from. But you've been playing in bands, though, leading up to that point. Did you have a band called the Malibus in the late 60s? Oh, my God. How'd you hear about that? That's so crazy. These boys are going to freak out that we're still talking. So, yes, I played in those bands. I grew up, we were like, you know, you did four or five sets. I'm talking about you're at the Zodiac Club in Staten Island, and all of a sudden some biker is kicking the shit out of a guy at the bar, and the club owner goes, you motherfuckers, stop playing. I will shoot you right now, okay? In the 60s. In the 60s. So you keep playing. You keep playing, and you keep going, man. And it's like, and we were a Beatles cover band, and I did all the other songs. I did, like, the Stones. I did the Doors. And we did some original music. We had a song called Black is White. So I was writing a little bit back then, but not very confidently. But I was like, I was a little nuts. I would just get in this space and get crazy. Was you singing or was you playing bass? Because you mentioned your bass player. I was playing rhythm guitar and singing. Right. Yeah, but they were a great Beatles cover band. That one guy played a Hofner, and this guy Richie had all the Paul McCartney parts, and I sang harmonies. It was fun. We had fun. What an amazing time to grow up in music, though, to see oh, all those incredible right? changes. And landmark bands, 60s, 70s, 80s. Thank you, my friend. I mean, we're going to New York on the weekends, and I'm in a Cafe Wasi and Billy Joel play, you know. or I'm in the village, and I'm watching Blood, Sweat, and Tears with Al Cooper. I mean, I grew up in Rome, man. I couldn't even envision being an artist back then because everybody was so freaking outstanding. I mean, the shows I saw, Jethro, you know, Bill Graham comes out and says, hey, we had a cancellation. We got this guy filling in tonight, Jethro Tull. And all of a sudden, the guy comes out and goes, I mean, he's got his knee up in the air and people's heads are being rocked back. And I mean, Sam and Dave, and we're we're not just, yeah, we're not just rockers, man. We're seeing uh, James Cotton and we're seeing, uh, who else? I I saw everybody. I saw The Who four or five times. Who were some of the first bands you saw live then? Who was your first concert? It's so funny. Okay, so I'm with this girl. And we cut school on a Friday and we go to Newark and we see the Buckinghams and the Beach Boys. I'm about 15, 16 years old. Okay. And they come out and do Wouldn't It Be Nice. I'm sorry, man. It's like you're having a feeling. I mean, maybe I've stunted development, but I still get that feeling from music. I'm sitting there listening to, you know, that music and these people are like the Beach Boys? Fucking Beach Boys. Oh my God. Then another early show I see, we used to like, if you had five bucks, right? You could go to Central Park and stand on the rocks. And all of a sudden I'm on the rocks and who's playing that night? But Ike and Tina Turner. Okay. And Tina Turner comes out. They were throwing moves like you never saw in your life. Jeff Beck and Truth were early. The Loving Spoonful. Oh, my God, was that a great show. I get chills still thinking about that show. I mean, I saw Led Zeppelin and that was great. But like those early, early shows that just like kind of rock you. So New York's having all this influence on you and stuff. Right. How did you fit into Los Angeles when you came out to do your solo career? So here's the thing. Okay, so I'm banging around New York. And I'm playing the clubs. I'm playing tracks. Remember tracks? You remember that club? It was a club. You go down there. John Bellucci's down there. George Harrison's hanging out. You know, Carly Simon. And I'm playing clubs there. I have a band that I'm trying to get a record deal really, really hard. And finally, there was this uh, cereal box. If you could get so many boxes of cereal, you can get yourself a plane ticket to anywhere you want. 
And my friend Guy Marshall and I, Guy Marshall is the guy who played guitar on No Easy Way Out. So Guy and I, we're like, okay, we're going out to L.A. and we're going to go do the rounds of the record companies, right? So what I do is we're staying in Silver Lake. And who knew that Silver Lake was going to turn out to be like the West Village in New York back then? And we go and I have, you remember those squeegees that are like when you squeeze them, their eyes popped out like it was a thing people had on their desk. I was using that for a microphone. I go into A&R guys and I would jump up on the desk and start singing to my demos. And Richie Weiss from Scotty Brothers said, you're as crazy as I think you are. We want to sign you. So you set to work on the album, which was titled No Easy Way Out. Was that always the plan? Did you know there was something special about that song? You know what? Did I know something was special about it? It was one of the songs on there, man. There was a song on there that never saw the light of day. It was called If That's What You Call Love It. I saw you at least, if that's what you call loving, then I would rather be alone. That song, I thought that was going to be a single for me. Never made it to the single area, right? And because I was on Scotty Brothers, I wasn't on CBS proper. And they liked me, man. They, I know they liked me. They put my video, I had a top 10 video on there. But when Stallone came in and grabbed that song, you know what I mean? And I had written it, man. It had nothing to do with the movie. But he saw through it, man. And not only did he put me in the movie, I mean, he created a franchise that's going to be around when you and I die. So was I a lucky son of a bitch? Absolutely. Who came up with a cool bass intro? Was that something that came to light once the bass part was put down? It's like, oh, this is cool. Let's drop that at the beginning. Let's think about it. It's a song with how many intros? Bam, 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 right? One, boom, do, 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 two, right? And then, damn, right? It comes out, we're not in the struggle. It's three intros in the song. How did a song with three intros even make it? But it was cinematic. Even when we did better than the rest, it's like thinking cinematic. You know, when Chris and I would write, we think like, what's the vibe, man? What are we seeing? What is it going to be? And I'm not saying it was so conscious in my mind, but if you think about it, how associated those songs were with the movies they were connected to at that time. Well, yours was because it was played from top to bottom. <laughs> Thank you. They didn't just have me like on the radio in the background. Intro straight through, man. The guy honored that song in a great way. Sat in the cinema watching this, like, oh, here's my song. It's going to cut off in a minute. Still going. Well, that's what I, I didn't think of it, man. I'm this green kid from Bayonne, New Jersey. Me and my second wife, we go to Westwood and we go to see the opening. And all of a sudden I'm looking at this and I, it's the first time I realized, okay, this is going to be something, man. They played this song from, like you said, from beginning to end. When you're done, you're like, <laughs> you're like out of breath. I was blown away. I was really blown away. We were staying at the Westwood Marquee. We were at a dinner table and there I am sitting with Tony Curtis and Rob Lowe, oh. you know, and all these people. And I'm like, I'm in the Brat Pack. I'm officially in the Brat Pack. <laughs> all right. What am I doing here? You know what I mean? Do I belong here? You know, and it worked out, man. That song, you know, took off. Well, we're talking about it almost 40 years later. Right? And it's got to be one of the most famous 80s soundtrack songs. and certainly one of the greatest motivational tracks. I have to tell you, it's like, Honestly, I didn't know how popular it was. I mean, my kids, my athletic kids would come home and say, Dad, all the guys on the football team know your song. I always thought, you know, it's a song jocks hook into, you know what I mean? It's like that. And when Twitter started to come in and when people started to post on YouTube and stuff like that, I said, holy shit, 30 million people have listened to this song. And then a couple of months ago, somebody sends me this thing. He said, there was this uh, heavyweight fight at a soccer stadium with 75, 80,000 people. And 
the guy comes out to no easy way out and they're all singing the lyrics to the song and it like it's like it's not even yours anymore man it, it takes on it's like chris always says to me he says it's part of social history it's it's part of pop culture I always say I got into hard rock because of movie soundtracks and the Rocky Four soundtrack is one of those which introduced me to hard rock music. So I've got to thank you for that. Thank you. Glad I could do that too because <laughs> there is some good songs in that genre, although there are a lot of people who would say no. Well, th- those people are wrong. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I'll just put you on the spot before we wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a soft spot for any movie soundtrack songs other than those of your own? Absolutely, man. I mean, In Your Eyes, Peter Gabriel with the radio up in the air. You know, and he turns it up. You're there, right? I always say, hey, nobody's really doing it. But a star is born when Lady Gaga sings Shallow. I get pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Awesome, man. That's great. Well, I want to wish you the very best of luck with the new album. Thank you. Thank you. And play it. Play it, play it. The video comes out. Feels like Monday. I'm pretty proud of this, man. I think it's going to be great. Enjoy this very busy press week. Thank you so much. I appreciate the energy. Well, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Hopefully catch you in the UK some point later on. For sure. I would love it. Thanks so much to movie soundtrack legend Robert Tepper for chatting right here on the Straight to Video podcast. Don't forget, the new single and video, Feels Like Monday, is being released on Saturday the 30th of July with a live acoustic concert. All info can be found at roberttepper.net or through Robert's Facebook page. And as mentioned earlier, the Straight to Video 80s video shop is now officially open on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays from 11am to 3pm in Alfreton, Derbyshire. And Chris and I would love to have you stop by and visit. Check out at 80s Video Shop all over social media and we look forward to welcoming you there real soon. So that is all for today's show. Really close to that episode 200 and it's down to you lot for getting us this far. So thanks as always for the amazing support and spreading the word and I look forward to chatting again real soon. <laughs>